Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Hello, everyone. It's me again, co-host. One of two. Now, one of two. Of course, you've hit the nail on the proverbial head. Uh, This is the first time uh, that we are recording after the sad departure of beloved co-host Jordan Lee McDonald. Unfortunately, uh, since last episode, Jordan Lubadon has confirmed to us that for personal reasons and also technical reasons uh, that he won't be able to uh, record anymore. Um, so we like to give a big, big thank you to Jordan. Uh, he recorded 35 episodes with me um, and one with you. Um, and it would uh, it's, we, we, we will miss him very much and we'll hope to have him back as a guest whenever uh, he can, if he can. Uh, and yes, yeah, so big thank you. The National Podcast would not be here without you. And I've got to thank you so much for helping me revive the pod. Do you want to give any nice words to JL? Can you give a single nice word to JL? I can try my best, yeah. Well, he is the reason that I got into the podcast. He, You were ill and he asked me if I would come on and I said yes. So if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here either. So it's a shame that we never got to do it, the three of us. But hopefully mm. at one point, He'll be back as a guest. Thank you for yeah. all of your service. Thanks. Thanks for everything, Jordan. And today we're going to be doing a very similar episode to one that I did with Jordan uh, in about maybe July last year, which was Return of the Cinema. This is our second Return of the Cinema episode. I'm sure back then I'd been very depressed to know that we're having to make a second Return of the Cinema. Um, but much like then, uh, where before we went through six films, uh, that had come out in, the, in that week uh, at the cinema, uh, which included the likes of Unhinged, um, An American Pickle, and Baby Teeth, um, which we all gave five minute reviews of. Um, much like that, we're going to be doing the same today. Um, we're going to be doing t- uh, 10, 11 films, quick five minute reviews of those. Um, and we're going to be looking at some films that uh, we're going to do one film of the 11 um, which isn't a cinema film that is army of the dead Zack Snyder's newest zombie film Uh, you'll be talking about that one uh, Lewis Um, other than that uh, we have uh, a couple films that came out of the cinema that were previously uh, released uh, on demand or in other countries so that would be uh, Judas the Black Messiah and Minari two films that both won Oscars and were nominated for the likes of Best Picture Um, and we'll be looking at a number of new releases such as Mortal Kombat, The Unholy, Peter Rabbit 2, Spiral from the Book of Saw and Those Who Wish Me Dead and we'll also be looking at a couple, uh, three, I believe, uh, films that have been re-released, uh, classics that are being shown up and down the country in Odeon and View cinemas. Uh, so, so uh, Lewis will be talking about those. That will be Terminator, um, Taxi Driver, and Thelma and Louise. So we'll be going through quick five-minute reviews of every single one of those. Um, but before we get down to that... I uh, just want to ask uh, straight up, uh, is there anything else you've watched other than these uh, these five films this week? Uh, no, actually, I have been ill this past week, so I haven't done anything other than just recover. All of these films I watched before my illness, that's why this episode is so late. 
Right, yeah, of course. Yeah, so we've had a few bit of a delay to this. Also, I've been away in Bristol uh, with my friend, so I've not been able to record either. Um, but I've watched a few films I'd like to quickly talk about. So I watched Carrie for the first time last week. Um, so that's the, the original 1976 Brian De Palma film. Um, and I know you've seen this, but I don't know your thoughts on it. Um, should have quickly go for it because obviously I haven't got much time, but I thought it was absolutely excellent. I thought it was, um, you know, I love when that, that really... Uh, 70s vibe. I really think that um, you know a lot of the the, the performances were excellent. Obviously, John Travolta was first big big film, um, and yeah, it was just um, you know haunting. I think it works on an awful lot of levels. Uh, a lot of comments on an awful lot of parts of society and uh, a very clearly anti-religion. Um, but yeah, just an excellent film in so many aspects. I think it, it, a lot of it comes down to the the excellent direction of Brian De Palma. Of course, there's a little bit that's a little bit slightly uncomfortable, a bit male gazy at times. Um, but no, I think an absolutely excellent film. Uh, what were your thoughts on Carrie? Yeah, I, I agree. Really, it's one of those classics, isn't it? I read the book uh, after I saw the oh, film, really? and uh, it's one of, the, in my opinion, anyway, it's one of those few things where I think the film is better than the book, but in a completely different way. Like you say, that seventies vibe that it's got is just mm-hmm. so fun, but also very like seventies horror, which is the very, very few types of horror that I like. Um, and I really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I also watched both Fantastic Beasts films. Uh, now, we've been talking about Harry Potter over the last two episodes. This time, uh, this is the sequels, the spin-offs to Harry Potter. Um, and the first one I was really big fan of, um, and I thought that it captured a lot of that magical world I want to go back to, as well as uh, really doing a lovely job of presenting that uh, 20s feel of New York, that kind of uh, Prohibition era. I thought that it was did that, that very well. A lot of the you know titular Fantastic Beasts were it was very entertaining. And for the first two acts, when you were kind of messing around with those those beasts and catching them, was very very good fun. I felt like the, the last act definitely stopped it from being kind of up there with the Harry Potters because the, th- the third act was kind of a very generic. Um, you know, we need to like capture the the big magic bad guy, which I always felt that Harry Potter did a lot better. Um, so that that definitely brings it down. But it was a very fun ride, and I very very enjoyed. The second one, which I watched today, um, not such a big fan of. It wasn't awful. I think I've heard a lot of really neg- negativity. I don't think it's awful. It's probably the weakest film in, in across the the kind of the the two the franchise, the wider Harry Potter franchise. Um, but uh, it still has some good points. Uh, can't say I was a big fan of Johnny Depp, but it kind of loses the, the the creatures aspect of the series. But I think it did the kind of dark plot a lot better, and I do like the the production design because it is with every Harry Potter film was was excellent. So is that. Uh, also, I watched uh, Peter Rabbit, the first Peter Rabbit, um, starring James Corden, of course. Big fan, of, uh, you're a big fan, <laughs> um, and. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest. I thought Peter oh, Rabbit God. was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, okay, Peter Rabbit, uh, James Corden as the Peter Rabbit is the worst part of the film, and he is annoyingly <laughs> smug, even in rabbit form. But Domino Gleeson is, is, is cracking, and it, it's very. I thought the first film was, was kind of very good at being self-aware uh it, it did it just the right amount uh i thought it was very lovable and i imagine if i was a kid i would love the film and I, I thought it was it was quite funny and I, I was surprised how good it was you know it's not it's no pixar film but i thought it was decent um and lastly the other film i'm not going to be reviewing in detail was frankie it came out um i think in 2019 in america um but it's been released in 2021 here as a unlimited screening at the cinema uh, i believe because it came out in the latin 2019 it's supposed to get a cinema release in the start of 2020 but didn't because of covid in britain um 
and I think they're releasing it as an unlimited screening because it didn't do very well, and I can see why. Um, it was very. It stars uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, the father of previously mentioned Donald Gleeson, um, and Marissa Tomney, and you know uh, Isabel Harper, and you know a whole host of of you know uh, Greg Kinnear. Um, and you know it's very artsy and it's very pretentious and. You know, it's all in four free. It looks beautiful. It looks really beautiful, um, which is why it's not half star. Uh, but the story was, you know, it's about a dying, uh, a dying actress who brings all her family to uh, Portugal on holiday before she dies, and they all have to deal with their own family problems. And it becomes boring and confusing. And wait, who he's brother with him, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, convoluted and uh, predictable. And a bit stupid, and they say there's, there's five minute, ten minute long scenes of people just talking in French with absolutely no subtitles, which I can see why they were trying to do that from the artsy point of view, but makes for me sitting actually opening, and I'm ashamed to say, but actually spent a lot of the film on my phone because I just couldn't be asked to watch the screen, uh, especially when they're going to speak in French for five minutes and I have no clue what's going on. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the worst film this week. So yeah. Those are my super quick reviews before our quick reviews. Um, but before we go on to actually getting into the nitty-gritty, because we want to do that because it's going to take so long, um, I just want to talk to you about Joker 2. Um, oh, yeah. So t- t- today, as we are recording, which is the night of, th- of Thursday, the Friday morning, um, which is just hours after reports have essentially been confirmed that Todd Phillips, the director of the 2019 film Joker, uh, is been uh, as, as is going to be writing co-writing the screen screenplay for a sequel uh to joker um we don't know if working phoenix is going to be reprising his role we don't know he is going to be directing i don't think we know much about it but we do know they're making a joker too now i'll ask you your thoughts on this but you know from my point of view you know I, I, joker was, was excellent i love joker you know it's it's i felt it was unfairly panned by critics it was obviously adored by audiences and i loved it um but i i, I do think it is a story that is wrapped up it's self-contained it doesn't need a sequel i think everyone thinks that this if you'd liked it you think oh it's a good standalone story it doesn't need a sequel if you didn't like it you don't want to have a sequel because of that um however i do have a sinking feeling lewis that it's actually going to end up being quite good and we're going to all go yeah. we didn't want a sequel but it turned <clears throat> a bit like toy story 4 yeah I kind of get what you mean. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think about talk, what do you think about the existence of Joker too? Well, I wasn't a huge fan of Joker. I liked it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was worthy of all the praise that it got. Um, but I enjoyed it, and I'll go and watch a sequel. I'm happy to watch a sequel, but I agree it didn't need a sequel. Everyone was the one thing that even, like you say, everyone across the board of Joker, everyone agreed. This is the one thing that doesn't need a sequel, no matter what. But the one thing that does make me laugh about them being confirmed to be a sequel is the people who adore Joker, and I mean, like, who say it should have won Best Picture of Parasite, those people. I remember when it came out, everyone was saying, there's going to be a Joker 2 eventually, it made a billion dollars, they have to make a sequel to it. And they were saying, no, they're not going to make a sequel to it. This isn't an auteur piece of cinema. They know 
that this is a standalone film. And it was like, no, this made a billion dollars. Obviously, they're going to make a sequel to it. And now it's finally been confirmed. Because it's inevitable when, you know, Warner Brothers, their main DC universe is failing, or was, financially at least. And this made a billion dollars. It's obvious that they were going to make a sequel. So it's not a surprise, but I'm disappointed. But like you say, I do think it'll be good. And I do think we'll all enjoy it. Maybe it won't be up there with the first one, but Mm. it'll definitely be good, I think. I do think as well, it it would be unfair to say that they weren't sowing a few seeds. Like, I think, like, that even when it it felt like a standard piece, I think, like, in the first film, there are a few points where you think, yeah, I know where they're going for a sequel here. Like the the, the showing Thomas Wayne getting shot. Spoilers. Yeah, that's true. Um, like the you know the the ambiguity of, of of his ending, like the showing the copycats as he's as he's being taken away. I always felt like, yeah, you know, I remember at the time thinking they're gonna make a second one of this, and then I could, that kind of went back into the back of my head throughout the most of 2020. But looking back, I, I think it's not that ridiculous once you think about it that they are gonna do this because it's not completely out of blue. It's not that like like them saying, you know, we're gonna make a sequel to you know, a cookbook orange or something, you know, it's like, there is, <laughs> yeah. there is a little bit of a, of a, a little, you know, something in there that kind of shows there could be a sequel, you know? Yeah. And it's Warner brothers with DC. They're going to try and not to be cynical, but they're going to try and milk a franchise out of anything that they can. And especially something that was good and Joker was good. So obviously they're going to try and get a franchise out of that. Um, because it was loved by most people. There are some weirdos that hate it passionately, um, but it was liked at least by most people. It was, I think, isn't it the highest grossing R-rated movie ever? So people love yes, it. Exactly. So I'm not surprised that it's going to get a sequel, and I do think it'll be good, especially if the same team are involved. Um, but I feel like we should need to wait and see about it. It gets my mum's seal of approval, that's the most important thing. Okay. <laughs> the first one, that is. Um, okay, so, we are, we should be going on. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to give you a quick flex. Uh, occasionally, I come out here and I give a bit of flex flex season about the new things I've bought. Uh, and I'm going to do it here. I want to flex. Uh, I haven't watched either of them yet because I'm going to wait till I get home to my 4K telly. Um, but I, which is also a bit of a flex. But I also, <laughs> I, today, this, you know, the other day I did buy uh, Doctor Sleep and The Elephant Man on 4K. Now, I assume you haven't seen Doctor Sleep because you don't like horror films, even though you do like Shining. Uh, yeah, that's um, correct. I haven't seen Doctor Sleep. But have you seen The Elephant Man? I haven't, actually. Oh, really? Because you, okay, okay. Because I thought cause I you were that, that so. whole thing. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I've never watched a David Lynch film, so I'm very excited to um, to see some more David uh, start off my David Lynch journey and also um, yeah some more Anthony Hopkins a bit more John Hurt in my life Can't yeah hurt eh? Can't <laughs> hurt. Hey. okay a little mini flex there so we're going to be get, I'm going to get my iPhone alarm ready and we are going to be doing our five minute reviews if you've forgotten the films. The film's options are Army of the Dead, Mortal Kombat, Judas, The Unholy, Terminator, Peter Rabbit, Spiral from the Book of Saw, Minari, Taxi Driver, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and Thelma and Louise. Okay, so some of those are going to be me, some of those are going to be Lewis. I will say when the uh, wheel goes on, so I'm going to spin the wheel now. This is obviously a very visual thing, so only I'm getting the uh, 
Okay, is it going to land on Minari or Taxi Driver? It is landed on Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. Okay, so that is a Lewis film. It um, is. So I am going to, in a second, I'm going to start up the thing and you're going to start talking. I am going to start the five-minute timer. You can do, you can take less than five minutes if you like. If you take three minutes, and that's all you've got to say. You can say stop and I'll stop it. But you've got up to five minutes uh, and I'm going to start the review now. So, Taxi Driver, <clears throat> Scorsese, classic, uh, in my opinion, one of the best films ever made. I think the writing is fantastic, the cinema... Oh yeah, by the way, if you'd like to do a small synopsis with the films as well. Oh, that's true, yeah. So, Taxi Driver is about a man called Travis Bickle, who is a taxi driver, and he deals with lots of mental health issues, and um, <clears throat> the film basically depicts his slow descent into madness and anarchy and he meets a prostitute who's played by Jodie Foster and I think she was only 16 at the time and she plays a prostitute who's like allegedly 12 and a half and he kind of makes it his mission to save her and get her out of that life so he goes on a mission to save her and without spoilers shit hits the fan and all that business yeah. uh, people a lot of people compared it to the joker as well which is a nice segue really uh, because mm -hmm. it's very similar in that sense uh, but i think my favorite thing about taxi driver is the cinematography um which it's set obviously in new york in the 70s and the way it's like it's full of neons and bright reds and the steam and the way that the cinematographer whose name I can't remember, but I'm Googling it now. Um, <laughs> the way that he kept Michael Chapman, the way that Michael Chapman captures that 1970s New York vibe where, you know, one thing that Travis, who is played by Robert De Niro exceptionally well, he always talks about is how New York is like a sewer and it's disgusting and it needs to get cleaned up. And that's really present in the cinematography. It's always dark, full of neons from the, neon lights of Times Square and bar signs and traffic lights uh, and when, even when it's not dark the steam from the sewers is rising up into the frame and it's really interestingly shot. Scorsese's direction as usual is fantastic. This is one of the best uh, Robert De Niro performances ever. He plays this really socially awkward man called Travis Bickle who tries to impress a woman called Betsy and at first it's going well but he messes up because he's socially awkward and he takes her to an adult film if you know what i mean by that and she storms out and he, the way that he plays it just from this kind of mentally ill man who at first has insomnia and it eventually de develops into something a lot more serious and he attempts to assassinate a political candidate it's that's how far down he goes into this rabbit hole and the way that uh, De Niro captures that is fantastic and unbelievable one of his best performances and <clears throat> the supporting cast is amazing as well Harvey Keitel plays a pimp who is in it briefly but is really good really well uh, written and well done uh, Jodie Foster obviously as I said plays a prostitute one of I think it, this was a first major role uh, and she does it so well. She plays this child who, like I say, I think she's meant to be 12 and a half. I think she's a bit older than 12 and a half, but the pimp plays her off to be 12 and a half because men in the 70s were even more disgusting than they are now. And <clears throat> uh, she plays this really broken young girl, 
and she plays it so well and the, the fact that she's opposite someone like Robert De Niro who even at the time was a well-seasoned actor compared to her and she does it so well and Sybil Shepherd is in it as well she plays Betsy who's Travis's love interest who kind of comes and goes in the film um she is really good in it she plays like this really uh confident woman who knows what she's doing with her life but she's also deeply unhappy with her life one minute left right okay she's also deeply unhappy with her life and travis tries to fix that and her relationship with travis is really really good there's also one thing i want to talk about with taxi driver that i will avoid spoils as much as possible so to summarize my actual review very very good i'd give it a nine out of ten five stars but the thing that i want to talk about is the ending i watched it a few years ago on dvd and there's one scene I know you haven't actually seen the film, so I won't give you context, but are you aware of the shot with Robert De Niro holding his hand to his head like a gun? Uh, yes. That happens, and the camera pans away, and there's a very long tracking shot that leads you out of a building and onto a street, and the score is playing, and I thought that was the end, so I just turned the DVD off and went to bed, and I was like, that was amazing, love that film. I watched it this week. That isn't the end, there's more. So, for years... What I have thought was the ending of Taxi Driver is not the ending of Taxi Driver. And I prefer the ending that I accidentally gave myself than the actual ending of Taxi Driver. And with that, my review ends. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Okay. I don't know if I'll... Uh, I've probably maybe made that a bit quieter in the, in the end. Yeah. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me when I do it because I want to see the timer so I can like judge how much I'm talking about. Basically. Yeah, that's true. Okay, nice. Nice take show. Yeah, I've never seen take show. I, I really should get around to it at some point. It's definitely one of those bucket list films obviously it's talked about so heavily, oh, so highly, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. one of those kind of films you need to watch. So. But Joker okay. did it better, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did see... Uh, JL thinks that, actually. JL thinks that that um, the Joker did it better, and he thinks that uh, Phoenix uh, put in a better performance than De Niro. I don't know if you think. Oh no, I was being sarcastic then. Jo does think that. Oh well, fair uh, enough. But, yeah. Okay, next up we have. It's either going to be Peter Rabbit or Spiral. It is Spiral. Okay, so that's a me film, of course. Take it you away. Would see, you'd not go see Spiral the Saw because you're a puss. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Spiral from the Book of Saw. Five minute review starting now. Spiral from the Book of Saw is the latest uh, film in the Saw franchise. Now, this is the first film that isn't a direct sequel, uh, but instead a spin-off. This comes about four years after the was supposed to be the final film of the franchise, Jigsaw, which came a few years after was originally supposed to be the final film of the franchise, Saw, I think, the final trap or something um so for spiral uh, is a film uh, directed by darren lynn bosman bosman who directed a number of the saw sequels um but was was uh, envisaged and partially written i believe by chris rock uh, and stars chris rock uh, chris rock is a detective um who goes uh, who is is wrapped up in a uh, situation where a number of uh, other uh, police uh, are being killed by a uh, jigsaw copycat killer. Um, of course, jigsaw being the, the main bad guy, he, he you know he's not around anymore. Instead, it's a copycat killer. And so Chris Rock, who's this um, cop who a few years ago um, ratted out a, um, a, a a bent copper and 
therefore was um, kind of hated by, kind of seen as a backstabber because he 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 exposed corruption and um, and didn't support his fellow man. So everyone kind of hates him in the police industry. Um, but he kind of is that typical you know angry chip on the shoulder cop who has to work with this rookie, and it's a lot of that kind of stuff of you know I'm, I work a bit on my own, but he has to work with this rookie. Um, uh, to try and you know deal with these murders, whilst he also deals with living in the shadow of the kind of police chief that his his dad played by Samuel Jackson. Now, I can't really say too much else because, of course, that is the plot. Of, you know, a lot of the film is about the traps and what happens, and it's a little bit of a kind of mystery detective story. So I wouldn't get too much in the details. Um, but Spire from the Book of Saw is a very confused piece of fiction. It's 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 trying to be far too much. Now, um, it's it's like a kind of crappy seven with saw traps thrown in the middle. Um, it, it's kind of the, the, you know, different things are pointing to, okay, this guy got taken out because of he, this thing he did. And it's all very, basically all the traps follow this. This man did something bad with his hands. So you can either die or get your hands ripped off. Or the first one is you talked a lot. So you can either get your tongue ripped out or die. Now I'm assuming that a lot of these like bodily mutilations would probably kill you anyway. So I don't really think it's a particularly great choice. And you know what I mean? Most of the people end up dying. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's confused that I want to be because it tries to take itself too seriously to be a saw film just filled with horror traps. But then it also loves being saw too much that it can't not have those traps in it. Um, it it's stuck, stuck in a very, you know, cheesy uh, middle ground that just doesn't really do enough for either one. You know, it's not going to tick it for all those horror fanatics, those, uh, you know, video nasty lovers. And it's not going to hit it for someone who wants to see a, a serious mystery. Um, the the traps feeling out of place. You've got serious conversation, and then suddenly you've got this outworldishly uh, uh, these, these traps. Now, the worst part of this film, and the one that I haven't seen talked about enough, is what you you can very clearly see that Chris Rock wrote the script because he literally does stand up bits in the film, right? <laughs> like midway through the film, he starts going off on like long jokey tangents, like. He goes on like a bit about like, you know, if they make Forrest Gump these days, they couldn't, it wouldn't be so politically correct. That's the film starts off with him going off on like this stand up routine. And it's so out of place. It happens all the time throughout the film. Chris Rock will come back from watching his, his mate get brutally murdered to come back to walk into a car and go, well, Starbucks these days, you just want to get a coffee, don't you? But they, they try and sell you all these ice creams. You know, he doesn't, you know, it's like that. I don't, he doesn't say that, obviously, but it's so confused about what it wants to be. It's trying to be a thriller. It's trying to be a comedy. It's trying to be a horror. It really doesn't tick any of the boxes. It's filled with so many cliches. It's so predictable. There was some kind of intrigue that kept me wanting to watch the thing. I watched this in 4DX, actually, you know, where the seats move around and the, and the thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, and I did the same for Peter Rabbit too, actually, I'll talk about later. <laughs> but for some reason, the whole, every single special effect just stunk of olives, which kind of put me off the film. But um, yeah, so from in comparison, uh, Spire of the Saw tries to do something else, but really tries to push too far from Saw, doesn't manage to capture a serious narrative, ends up with a lot of cheesy one-liners, um, it, it feels badly uh, pushed together, and yeah, it's, it's mismatched. I'll give it maybe a 5 out of 10. Ooh, four that out of ten. Is a Maybe four out of ten. Review. Maybe four out of ten. It was not a great film, man. It really ain't a great film. I'd heard a lot of positive about it, to be honest. 
Well, that's the nature of film criticism, eh? That is true. That Maybe is someone true. else would come back and say, oh, what, what cracking film, but that would not be me. Okay, <laughs> moving on to the next one. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? So far, it's been one. It's, it's, been, it's been set up well. Is it going to be another one of you? Or am I going to have to do two reviews? Back to back, I am. I'm going to be talking about Peter Rabbit 2. The It's called Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Okay. Rather you than me on that. <laughs> okay, I'm about to start this up. Okay. Boom. Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. So I obviously watched Peter Rabbit before this. I went to go see Peter Rabbit 2 in 40X as well, which I think actually did add to it. I thought it was quite nice. And, you know, it, it's um, it's very much works for the kiddie films. You know, you, you feel like you're running along with the rabbits and such. Now, you know, it's not a review for 40X, but I like the 40X. So Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, picks up from the end of the first Peter Rabbit film, obviously, where Beatrix Potter, who's played by Rose Byrne, is, or she's called B, but it's obviously supposed to be Beatrix Potter, um, is is now married to Domhnall Gleeson's character Thomas, and they live in a lovely place. And she's been adapting the Peter Rabbit stories into books. So it's obviously supposed to be a meta narrative on on the Peter Rabbit books. Um, and and she gets a um, an offer from a very highly established uh, publishing office run by um, Nigel Basil Jones, who's played by De- uh, David uh, Olio. Oli Lowo, I think I believe is the guy's name. I, I recognise him, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, and he um, plays, a, he, so he's a, a kind of smooth-talking, super-attractive um, publisher who basically wants to convince Beatrix Potter to make the Peter Rabbit books more stylish and um, kind of, they make jokes about, you know, having them skateboarding on the moon and stuff. You know, it's supposed to be very, and wear, them wearing cool clothes and they're being astronauts and stuff. And we're going in a direction that she doesn't want to go to, which is supposed to be about her life and, you know, how the animals relate to her, her the real life existence, of course. Uh, and, you know, it, it fills a, a star-studded cast that includes the life of James Corden as the main character, as uh, as Peter Rabbit. It also includes Margot Robbie, Elizabeth Debicki, you know, you know a, lot, a large Hayley Atwell, Sam Neill, Sia, and, and Tim mentioned loads of other people. So, it, it, and, and during the course of this, Peter Rabbit himself goes off um, and he's seen as the bad guy in the books. You know, they make him, the, the publishers make him in, out into the bad guy. So, therefore, he decides to turn bad and he hangs out with this bad gang of animals uh, and tries to kind of desert his friends in, in the name of, of being a bad street rabbit, I guess. Um, now, the film is not as bad as you'd think, which is, I guess, a kind of uh, backhanded compliment because you kind of, <laughs> I mean, implying that you'd, even though I did quite like the first one, that you'd imply it shit. Look, I do think that James Corden is probably the most cringeworthy thing about the film. He's, his smugness stinks through, uh, even when he's playing a CGI rabbit. Um, but it is genuinely quite funny. Uh, and then I'll say the narrative is interesting. And okay, of course, there's, you know, the, the twists aren't exactly the most surprising thing in the world but it is a film intended for five-year-olds um but i think you know it's it kind of works in few levels there's a couple times where it obviously the jokes are not adult in an adult like a, an x sense but like in a kind of you know like a little bit of a, a kind of wink to the parents and i, I think you know it, it's a it's a it's a very jolly story um i, I think it meets its target audience well um it it, can, it does a lot of the, the best things from the first film again and you know it, i think it, it counts a very lovable set of very unique personalities um and i think that that, that does it that's what you want from a kids film it's it's very 
you know, on brand. But the problem I do have with the film, and what stops it from uh, going higher, uh, like the first film, is that it's constant reliance on self-reference to a cringeworthy degree. The first film did it, but this film does it too much. It really, really knows it's a film, and it does it too much. It's, there's so many jokes about, well, if, you know, um, you wouldn't want Americans. You wouldn't want Americans to make some cheesy um, uh, film version of your books for for financial gain. Winks at the camera, like literally winks at the camera, wow. um, and it, it does that too much. Um, it it kind of talks about how you know these are cutesy books. You wouldn't have a a, a a chase across the Alps, and then they actually end up chasing across the Alps, and they do it a little bit too much to the point where it is a little bit, you know, painful. It's a little bit like oh. God, we know that's the the joke. Maybe that would be fresh and new to six year olds, um, but for me, it just feels a little bit like I'm watching like a, a bad Deadpool for three year olds. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that over you know reliance on meta jokes you know maybe brings down the rating a little bit. But I would say that especially if you know not that I don't think any of the people that actually listen to us did, but if you did have a young child or or, or newer young child that 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 would you know. This, this is the kind of film they'll like. I think it very much um, knows its target audience. And yeah, I think it does it quite well. And I'd say that generally the voice acting is pretty good. I'd give it maybe a 6 out of 10. Boom. I'm going to finish this in my review 10 seconds early. Well, hold on. See, I'm really <clears throat> just positive. I'm a positive guy. Oh, yeah, actually, I did just give a scathing review of a film, actually, that I only gave two ranks lower. So I guess That's I'm not true. that positive. But I'm positive about Peter Rabbit. I like Peter Rabbit. It's cute. I okay. probably would if it was voiced by someone other than James Corden. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a big James Corden fan, but I do like him in Gavin Stacey. That is okay. true. I will give you that. I'll give, I'm giving it a spin. Is it going to be a me for a third time? No way. Ooh, no. You couldn't see that. This is a really visual medium. But it just <laughs> inched over the line between those who wish me dead to Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise is a film that you're going to be doing. Now, this is a film from one of my favourite directors. This is a film from Ridley Scott that's been re-released in the cinema um, up in the country. Uh, it sounds like I'm doing a review, but I haven't seen it. As much as I love Ridley Scott, as much as I love Aliens, as much as I love Blade Runner, I haven't seen it. Obviously, a very different film. Um, so I'm very interested in whether I should bother seeing it. Um, so we're going to have to start up your five-minute review starting now. So, Thelma and Louise tells the story of two best friends, Thelma and Louise, played by Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, or Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, because Gina Davis is Thelma and Susan Sarandon is Louise. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, Thelma is in a relationship that she's not very happy in, and so is Louise, and they decide to go on a road trip and just get away for a couple of days. Louise's friend owns a cabin somewhere, so they go out and drive to the cabin. And on the way, they stop in a bar, and the, there is a man who sexually assaults Louise, and who sexually assaults Th- Thelma, sorry, and Louise shoots him, and they kill him, and they just go on the run, and it kind of snowballs from that, where they're on the run, so they do this, and then they have to do this, and then they have to do this, and they become fugitives from the FBI, and I won't say any more about the plot, because that's, that, obviously, getting into spoilers, but... Mm-hmm. It kind of snowballs and spirals into chaos uh, of these two women best friends who just wanted to go for a weekend away to get away from their husbands or boyfriends. And it becomes this huge, fugitive, runaway, road buddy movie. And in my opinion, it's one of the best buddy movies ever made. And it's one of the best road movies ever made. Uh, 
Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are incredible in this. They have such good chemistry. Uh, they are two of very few people who were both nominated in the lead actress category for the same film. It's never happened since then in the 1991, and I'm incredibly sad that neither of them won. I would have preferred either of those to win over Jodie Foster, but Jodie Foster did also deserve to win for Silence of the Lambs. Tread lightly, fucker. <laughs> And Silence of the Lambs did sweep that year, so it only won Best Original Screenplay. Uh, but the screenplay is fantastic, the way that they write this friendship to be so authentic. And it's a very heartbreaking film, but it's also a very heartwarming film because you see these two friends. And obviously when Thelma is sexually assaulted, she is just broken. And Louise picks her up and like says, I'm taking charge now because you can't do this right now. So I'm the one who's going to guide us. And then 20 minutes later in the film, it's the opposite. And Louise is broken. She doesn't know what to do. So Thelma says, All right, I'll pick you up and I'll take the lead now. And they swap roles when the other one's down, the other one lifts them up. And it's such a good uh, showcase of friendship and rebellion and just going against the grain. And it's also very, very modern in the way that it deals with sexual assault because Thelma says, let's just go to the police. And Louise is like, no, they're not going to believe us. They'd never believe us. We have to run or we're going to jail forever. So they try and run to Mexico. Uh, the direction from Ridley Scott is amazing. Uh, the cinematography particularly as well, the way that they shoot the American landscape is incredible as they're driving through it, obviously. When you're doing a road movie, you're kind of limited to shots of a car driving. So the way that they do it is very creative. The editing's really interesting. The way that they show this story that only takes place over a number of days, but you really feel the progression in the story as well. And the way that it's acted as well by the two leads, you really see that these the two women at the end are not the same women that set off. And the end, I don't know, obviously I won't say it, but... I assume that you know how it ends because it's one of the most famous endings ever. It's I do not. I actually wow. Don't. That is. A I'm surprise. imagining it's like quadrophenia, but I don't know. I actually I don't know. I have no clue. I've never it is, it's one of the most famous endings ever. Oh, you should go and watch it. You know, you know what? So when I watched, sorry, I've cut for your review. I'm going to pause it quickly. Sorry, don't time. worry. So, um, when I watched Seven, right, for the first time. I didn't know what the end of seven was, right? Believe it or not, I didn't know what happened in seven, right? But when he went, what's in the box? I was like, ah, oh, this is the what's in the box film, <laughs> right? I reckon if I watch Thelma and Louise, I'll be like, oh, that's how, that's that bit that I know about. And it's a, it's a cliche. You should do, but I yeah. don't actually, I actually don't know what it is well, from it, Thelma and Louise. It's not so much a cliche because they don't say anything. It's just what happens. So maybe not, right. but it's been parodied, parodied a lot and it's been homaged a lot, paid tribute to. There's, there's an Easter egg towards it in GTA 5, actually. That's how. Oh, really? That's how ingrained in pop culture it is. Uh, but the ending is just flawless and perfect. And I would not change the ending for the world. It is the most perfect ending to the most perfect relationship and friendship in a film ever. And it's so well directed and edited and shot and acted. It's flawless. And that's all I need to say about Thelma and Louise. Uh, actually, my mum's favourite film she showed it to me when I was a kid, and I didn't fully appreciate it. Saw it this past week. Fully appreciated it for what it is. One of the best films ever made. 
probably, in my opinion, the best road buddy movie ever made. It's just fantastic. There's so few things that I would change about it. And if you're a big, big Ridley Scott fan, you need to go and watch it as soon as you can. Two, one. Right, I can Dude. see an awful lot of Blade Runner in Theta Family movies. I'm sure they're very similar films. Um, yeah, I really should go around seeing A big shout out to, uh, to Mama Lewis on that one. Yeah, Karen. Okay. Well done, Karen. 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 <laughs> Everyone's mum's called fucking Karen. <laughs> is it going to be Terminator? Is it going to be Minari? Is it going to be Terminator? Is it going to be Minari? It's going to be Minari. Okay. Have fun. Minari. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Okay, five minutes. Okay. Five minutes on Minari starting now. So I watched Minari. Minari is a uh, film that was released on demand and in America previously, but has only been released in the cinema in the UK this week. So I'd already seen it um, on by buying it on Amazon, uh, kind of on I think it was the day before the Oscars stuff or that, just to watch it. And so Minari is a film that won uh, two Oscars. Is that right? Is it won one Oscar? It won the Best Supporting Actress for uh, Yunya Jung. Did it win anything else? I think that was it. Yeah, what they want. So it won an Oscar. Yeah. It was nominated for an awful lot of other ones, including yeah. lead actor and score and best picture um, and uh, best director and loads of other things. Um, so it is the story of. It's directed by Lee Isaac Chung and it stars uh, Stephen Yun of, of Walking Dead fame, amongst other things, um, who is a dad who's moved with his family uh, from California to uh, in the kind of the the midwest i think in america um he's a family koreans um and they they move out to a kind of trailer uh in the middle of of a field and he has his desire to build a farm and sell korean fruits to the kind of koreans that are moving into um into america and along every year so it's set in the 80s and it deals with him trying to uh, deal with his him trying to build his farm whilst also dealing with relationship problems with his wife uh, who's played by uh, Han Yeri uh, whilst also dealing with his son who's played by Alan Kim who uh, has a heart problem that essentially stops him from doing any large uh, physical exertion and also dealing with the arrival of his stepmother of the the nan um Stepmother, sorry, his mother-in-law, I mean, um, who played by Yen Yu Jiang, who's the nan, um, who is, um, you know, very fun-loving and such, and uh, kind of has, uh, tr- tries to win over um, the, 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 the son, Alan Kim. Um, now, it's, I could go into more details of the plot, but I think this is a film that doesn't rest heavily on the plot, but is instead... Um, more built on the uh, the feeling, the vibe, and the world that it builds. Um, it's built up by exceptional cinematography. Um, some of the best of any film you'll see made last year. Um, up there with the likes of um, Nomadland or Mank or Jesus Lap It really is up there with the best. And backed up by one of the best scores of the year. Undoubtedly one of the best scores of the year. Um some excellent performances. Uh, it feels so real. The family is so um, lovable. They're very unique characters. Um, you can definitely see each argument from everyone's point of view. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, directed exceptionally. It is 
there's some controversy over whether it should be this is as a foreign film, a language film, or whether it shouldn't over at the I think Golden Globes um, because whilst it is a film that is predominantly in Korean, they switch between languages, but predominantly in Korean, it is a film that is so stereotypically American in kind of the cheesiest way of that American dream, and you know you keep working hard, and you know it, it kind of does that, and it also kind of subverts that with a lot of the the, the plot points that happen later on in the film that I want to talk about, but I think. Um, from a technical point of view, you know it's it's you know an awful lot of of excellence there, and and I think you know that the 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 as I say the cinematography and and the you know the the lighting and everything very well done and and excellent acting. Um, one of one of the better films of last year, and very very much deserved the Oscars it got made for. Uh, if I was to give any criticism, I think that perhaps uh, at times it has some pacing issues. I mean, that, maybe that'd be a, a, a very micro criticism. I think maybe the, it, it's some of the the second act is paced a little bit too slow for the rest of the film um but i I, you know i think it's definitely a must watch um you know it's it's very genuinely funny um it's very relatable um and yeah it's it deserved every every praise all the praise it got and i watched it originally and i liked it but i was a little bit bored i was a little bit on my phone i wasn't really focusing watched it in the cinema properly heard the music properly got to the cinematography in, in the best screen possible and it completely transformed the experience it, it jumped up in rating well it, it kind of jumped up in appreciation for me i did know how good it was the first time but i didn't really get to soak it in myself um but yeah this is a film that's it's maybe an 8 8.5 out of 10 something along those lines it's, it's an excellent film it's a really really good film <laughs> yeah i Watch agree it. review over i agree short and sweet <laughs> short and sweet it was that was a four minute and 40 second review to be fair I don't oh it wasn't that short anyway. then <laughs> no it wasn't uh but yeah minaris it's good go see it <clears throat> it's probably leaving cinema very soon so well i don't know actually it'll probably be at like indie cinemas and shit it yeah it's already it. left Odeon, so i'm gonna have I to go and see it still every be... month yes yeah, I'm, yeah i think it was it was showing in the watershed in in bristol which is like the uh the indie cinema yeah. Um, but whilst I was doing that, I was spinning the wheel and I spun it onto Mortal Kombat, which you saw. Now, this is a new film. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to set the fight time no, five minutes on Mortal Kombat, please. Go. Uh, I don't think I'll need the full five minutes for this because I don't remember much of it, which is not a good sign. <laughs> uh, so Mortal Kombat is obviously based on the game franchise that I've never played, Mortal Kombat. And it's about a man named Cole who is chosen to take part in Mortal Kombat. And the villain, Sub-Zero, and some other people are kind of... I think they're cheating, and they're killing all of the competitors before the actual competition starts. So Cole collects uh, all of the other combatants, or competitors, whatever they're called in that universe, and they are training to unlock their power that they all get. Uh, like, one of them has a laser eye, one of them has Sub-Zero powers, he's called Sub-Zero Ice Powers. Uh, Cole, although I won't go into spoilers, Cole eventually struggles to unlock his, but does unlock his, and then the ending happens, which obviously I won't talk about. Um, but I thought it was shit. I really did. <laughs> it was... <laughs> <laughs> it was very predictable, the writing was very bad, I thought the acting was very bad as well, it kind of gave me like 2010 straight to DVD Disney sequel acting uh, from everyone other than 
one person whose name is escaping me and the character's name is escaping me as well but uh though i think her name is sonia actually she, her actress uh jessica mcnamee she is the only good actress in this or well she's not she's the only one who gives a good performance in my opinion right, the lead right. uh who is lewis tan is not very good in this film i'm sure he's a very good actor but he's not very good in this film uh i didn't enjoy it i don't know whether that's because i'm not a fan of the mortal kombat game franchise and i didn't understand fully what was going on so i can give it a bit of leeway for that but i really didn't enjoy it the action was quite interesting it had a few really cool action scenes i thought it was rated 12 when i went in but it turns out it was rated 15 so it was, there was quite a lot of brutal violence I thought it was 12, and within the first five minutes, one of the characters stabbed someone through the head. So uh, I realised quite early on that it was that kind of film. So at least the violence was fun, uh, and that was all interesting. But um, everything else was quite shit. I didn't enjoy it. Also, quick shout out to Josh Lawson, who is a character in this, um, who is the most unlikable character ever who for about 90% of the film is meant to be the comic relief, but is just genuinely sexist and racist. Um, at one point, he refers to an Asian character as egg roll, and he refers to a different Asian character as a different Chinese delicacy. I can't remember what it is, um, but he's genuinely just unlikable and annoying. Um, he isn't funny at all, so he doesn't work as the comic relief. I just didn't like this film at all. It just is not for me. If you like the Mortal Kombat franchise, perhaps you'll like this, but I didn't at all. That's it. That's that's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> right. Can I have a rating out of you? Uh, out of ten, I'd probably give it a three because the violence, the action was right, quite yeah. interesting. Um, Oh, also the the I take something back. the The man who played Scorpion, he was also very good in it. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. No one else was though. Right. Then. <laughs> um, have you happened to have seen the two thousand nineteen Shaft film? No, I haven't. But you right, have okay. told me how you... bad it is. Yeah, because that the main the, the <laughs> Shaft in that Samuel L. Jackson is does that comic relief thing of just being painfully offensive constantly. Yeah, um, like I genuinely yeah, was okay. shocked that a film released in 2021 had a line of <laughs> yeah. comedy where he referred to an Asian character as egg roll, right. and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was not half as offensive as offensive as how shit the rest of the film sounds. Yeah, the film is is the worst thing about it. <laughs> if I had this to change film is one worse thing, than racism. It's <laughs> worse than racism. It's the official party line of the national. That's Netflix true. Yeah, actually, government. it's not quite as bad as racism, but no, 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 no it is, is bad. It's bad. Okay, okay. Fair <laughs> I, that okay. Genuine, I just realised that is actually what I said, isn't it? <laughs> The racism okay. wasn't as bad as the film. No, the racism is far worse than this film, but this film is very bad. Well, you know, we know what you said. And we do know, of course, that the next film we're talking about is Those Who Wish Me Dead, which I'll be reviewing. Okay, fucking need to think about this film again. Okay, <clears throat> five minutes starting 
now. Okay, so this is Those Who Wish Me Dead, the newest film from Taylor Sheridan. Um, so this is a film uh, headlined by Angelina Jolie, uh, starring an awful lot of uh, other well-known actors, including um, Nicholas Holt and uh, Aidan Gillen, who I know as Littlefinger from... Um, Game of Thrones, um, and another name a, a number of other Tyler Perry's in it, you know, whatever. But um, so it's the story of a so uh, there's a bloke, right? I forgot his name, right? There's a bloke who has to he he finds out he's a in, forensic accountant that finds out details about the someone high up in the justice system i believe and because he finds out about that and hitmen are called on him that attempts to kill him and also his son who's with him who's young like 10 year old son and a series of events leads the son into the care to just kind of stumbles across um angelina angelina jolie's character who's a, a woman called hannah who is a firefighter who is scarred by the um of, she's got PTSD based on an event that happened sometime in the past where she finds herself accountable for misreading the wind and therefore allowing a fire to kill some children i believe um and she's dealing with PTSD but she feels like she can right a wrong by helping save this kid from these um, hired killers, Nicholas Holt and Littlefinger, who are trying to kill the child. Okay, so that's my best attempt at giving the story uh, of that film. So, onto the, the film itself. Now, despite the fact that I really poorly described that, that synopsis, it's because this film attempts to do the plot from about nine different perspectives in over the course of a set around 90 minute f feature. Um, and it kind of fails at doing that. Um, I feel like there's actual potential in the story. This comes from a book. And I feel like there's actually potential in a story uh, being told over a number of parts where we're yet to feel out each one of the characters and their backstories, maybe like a six-part HBO series or, or a Fox series. But in, in 90 minutes, it, or 100 minutes here, it feels so condensed that we're constantly throwing around between different perspectives. Um, and it never really feels connected uh, until too late. Um, we're having to deal with so many different characters coming in and out. Um, and it, it kind of makes you feel disconnected from the plot. Uh, I'd say, again, I think there there is real potential here because there are some really interesting parts of the story. I think that a lot of the performances are strong. I thought Angelina Jolie was very good. Um, and I thought Aidan Gillen was good. Uh, and Finn Little, who's only you know, 10 years old or whatever, 14 years old, I don't know, um, you know, puts in a very good performance here. I think sometimes the production value didn't necessarily feel the same as um, a Hollywood production. It did at some point feel a little bit uh, on the low budget side. It did, you did kind of feel the TV moviness of it at points. Um, however, you know, I think it did attempt to do uh, something strong here. It just missed the point. I think the screenplay didn't really support each character long enough. And I think there were some very strange decisions made by characters that perhaps maybe would have made sense if you gave more details, i.e. a series. But here it just came across like, why would he possibly walk that way? Why would he possibly do this? Of course he's going to die. He does this. Um, it, it's an awfully 
cliched as well. There's an awful lot, of, you know. It, it, there are definitely points of the film that very, feel very predictable, um, but it, it ends strong. The third act is the best part of it. Once all those those intertwining narratives join, uh, and as like I say, I can't, I can't particularly dis, uh, dis any acting or the cinematography. Um, so whilst the, this film is flawed, it, it definitely has some upsides, and I give it probably about a five out of ten. Um, you know, it's it, I didn't even hear about it before the film came out, but yeah, it's it's a, a, a pop a popcorn flick that. You know, if if you if you there's nothing else you want to watch, I wouldn't say not watch it. But it's definitely not something that you should run into cinema for. Sounds good. Boom. <laughs> Boom. I've been awfully negative today. You have been, to be honest. Well, I've got the unholy and choose about Sinex. Maybe one of those two will be positive. We've got four films left. That's Army of the Dead, Jews of Messiah, The Unholy, and the original Terminator film. So two for me, two for you. Exciting. Exciting. We're spinning that damn wheel. Ooh. What are we getting? Is it going to land on The Unholy? Is it going to land on Terminator? It's going to land on Terminator. Ooh. Generally, it's been me, you, me, you. That's been pretty good. Not always. Has, it's yeah. generally pretty... There's only been it's one not, exception. Not... Mm. Okay. So, Terminator. Uh, I'm going to get that. <clears throat> and five minutes on the ter- on Terminator, please. Now. So, Terminator is James Cameron's sci-fi film from the 80s about a Terminator played by Arnold Schwarzenegger that gets sent back in time from 2025, I think, or maybe later than that. And he gets sent back to the 80s to kill Sarah Connor because her son, who hasn't been born yet, uh, so yeah, I forgot to mention this, there's been a robot uprising in the future and the Terminators have sent back Arnold Schwarzenegger to kill Sarah Connor because her son fights back and starts to win the war against the robots. But there is another human who has been sent back to save and protect Sarah Connor as well. And the film is about the Terminator trying to kill Sarah Connor and this man that is also from the future who is her son's friend trying to protect Sarah Connor. That's the plot. Can't really go into it anymore without spoiling it. Um, Have you seen Terminator, out of curiosity? No, I have not. Okay, well... uh, I have seen Terminator when I was a kid, but I don't really remember it. Uh, so this, I approached this like it was my first time watching it, although I have actually seen it before and I knew what happened. Um, and I have to say, I don't think that it's aged well. I know that everyone says it's a masterpiece, it's revolutionary, but I really don't think that it's aged well. The writing is a bit off. The CGI is very, very 1980s, which... I've never been able to say before about a James Cameron film. Normally, his CGI is revolutionary. I mean, he made Titanic and Avatar that were both at least a decade ahead of themselves. Terminator feels like a film from the 70s, but it's a film from the 80s. I really don't feel like it's aged well. Also, I think the only reason that people don't hate on Arnold Schwarzenegger is because he played a robot because he is a terrible actor, and he's never worse than in this. His line reading is worse than robotic. Um, It is horrific, but I can look past it, because he is playing a robot, a killer robot. Um, Linda Hamilton, though, is great. 
she uh, plays Sarah Connor. She's great in this. Uh, she gives one of the best performances in a kind of sci-fi film of that era. Um, she's really, really good. And also, the story is very well constructed to say that it's a convoluted time travel film. It's a very well thought out story. And the action, again, is very 80s. It's very outdated. But it's also just very iconic. Like, it's one of the most iconic films ever. Every five minutes I was watching it and I felt like Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pointing at the screen and I was like, oh, that's that thing from that. That's yeah, that yeah, That's yeah. that thing. It is one of the most iconic films ever. And to be honest, I watched it and I realised how, like, revolutionary it was. Maybe not from a technological standpoint. Like I say, that CGI felt very... 80s but from a storytelling standpoint it was so revolutionary for the 80s like no one had ever done anything like that before um where someone's traveling back in time to kill someone and his action killer robot fighting against time and everything um and my main thought when i was watching it was i'm just excited to see avatar 2 <laughs> because james cameron did this and he's done titanic and he's done avatar he is one of the best directors ever and it made me excited for Avatar 2, which is completely not what I expected to happen. But um, the cinematography was really good. The music was really good. It was very kind of techno, uh, still very 80s, but very techno synthy, which fit the robotic theme throughout. Uh, it was very predictable, even though I have seen it before. Like I say, I went in it like it was my first time because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. But the story is very predictable. I knew what was going to happen like straight away. It was like, yeah all of this makes sense um but it, it was very good like i said i don't think it's aged well but it was still very very good um it has just unfortunately been the victim of technology by far surpassing it and making it look bad by comparison purely visually i mean um but overall it's still one of the best sci-fi films ever made and it is that's this seems like this felt feels like i've given it a very negative review I don't feel negatively about this. It was very, very, very good. I just don't think that it's aged particularly well with the action and the CGI, purely because of technological restrictions. But it's still one of the best sci-fi action films ever made. And it was great. So, go and watch it if you can. I think it's still playing in the cinema. Shut up. Is that the end? That's the end. That's a beep, beep, beep. Oh, I didn't hear it. Right. Well, that's the end anyway. Just go and see it if you can. <laughs> Right. Um, I was trying to ask, uh, have you seen T2 relatively recently or not? Uh, no, I was going to, but then I got ill, so I couldn't. Okay. Yeah, because this is one of the films where people do say the second one's better than the first. Yeah, I, I have seen opinion. T2 when I was a kid, uh, but again, I don't remember it particularly well, but it is one of those things where it's almost universally accepted that the second one is far better. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, moving on, we've got three films left. We've got Army of the Dead, Jesus and Outside and The Unholy. I hope we get The Unholy now because it's... Okay, we're not going to get The Unholy now. We're going to get Jesus and Outside now. I was hoping we did that for last, but we're not going to. Um, you could just lie and say that it landed on The Unholy. No one else you know can that, see the wheel. That is actually what I did last time we did this. I lied to the baby teeth at last. Because <laughs> that was the first time we talked about baby teeth ever. Because that, <laughs> that was the day I watched Baby Tooth. And I lied so I could give it a five-star review at the end. <clears throat> and now everyone knows that. But I'm not doing exposed. that Exposed. Now showing podcast did, host exposed. 
<laughs> if we did, I would have Judas last. We were originally supposed to do Judas in the Army of the Desert as our two films, but because you know you weren't able to watch Judas and such, that we changed the, the format. Um, yeah. So, but so I've got, obviously got a lot to say. I was prepared to originally to do like a twenty minute review of this, but we're doing a five minute review. So that five minute review starts now. Judas and Messiah is the newest film from Shaka King. It is a uh, 2021 film. It won uh, two Oscars. It won Best Supporting Actor for Daniel Kaluuya, and it won Best Original Song. It was nominated for an awful lot of other things, including another Best uh, Supporting Actor for Licky Stanfield, um, and Best Picture, and uh, another number of other things, such as screenplay and, and more. Now, Judas and Messiah is the true story of Fred Hampton, uh, the deputy chairman of the Black Panther Party and the leader of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, um, who is uh, in, in the uh, in the late 60s. Um, and it, it follows as well uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who's played by Danny Kluger, Fred Hampton. And uh, it follows Lakeith Stanfield, who is a man who plays a man named Bill O'Neill, um, who, uh, after committing a crime, is forced to become an informant to the FBI um, so he doesn't go to prison um, and he becomes an informant uh, trailing Fred Hampton and reporting back um, the news of, of the Black Panther Party into uh, into the, 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 the FBI uh, and his informant who is played by uh, his uh, FBI agent who's played by Jesse Plemons. Now, this is a true story, of course, and a lot of people know the story of Fred Hampton already. So I'm not going to go deep into the plot because there's, there's no point, really. Um, but you know, Fred, that kind of party, of course, an incredibly important um, figure in the civil rights movement in the sixties, and uh, you know, black rights and such. Now, to go into my review, um, that the Judas Black Messiah is not my favourite film of the twenty twenty to twenty one season. Um, it, my favourite film is obviously Baby Teeth. I talk about it all the time, and um, you know, Nomadland won Best Picture. That is that's obviously your favourite film of the time. Mm-hmm. There are films I like more than Judas Black Messiah, but there are no films more important than Judas and Messiah. I would there's if you have to see one film that came out this year, don't go for the film that won the best picture. Don't go for the film that I said this. Go for Judas and Messiah. This is the most important picture released this year because not only is it one of the mo- the best films made uh, in the last decade, it is also uh, a, a story that is becoming more and more important as time goes on. Uh, this shows the demonization of a black liberation movement. This shows the propaganda, the treatment by the FBI, the treatment by the national media of a group of black, um, you know, uh, liberators of, of, of revolutionaries, um, and and this and, and the way they were treated. You know, you can make so many comparisons to modern day and what's been happening over the last 12 months. But this story of injustice, of the horrific uh, details, the horrific details of the actions of the FBI and the police department, it's it's breathtaking. Um, I I saw this film first a few months ago. I didn't get to see it in cinema. Uh, I saw it on the phone, but I watched it again in the cinema, and it definitely pushed the rating up. The film, from a, a you know from an on-screen pet standpoint, is almost flawless. It's absolutely exceptional, and it's gone up in my rating. the The performances of Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield obviously deserve all the praise they got. He 
100% deserve the Oscars. Uh, Oscar puts in one of the greatest performances of the year and of many years, but also the excellent supporting cast that of Jesse Plemons, Dominic Fishback, Dominic Thorne, um, all of the members that play the different members of the Black Panther Party are so, so good. The direction is excellent. Cinematography is beautiful and has some of the best usage of music in any film I can remember. It's so impactful that the way the music is used and, and hits you like a like a sledgehammer to, to show the importance of certain movement uh, moments. Um, the title, even the title, is one of the best of any film I've seen recently. And it really symbolizes the backstabbing and treatment of this informant and the way that he um, infiltrates the, the, the back panel of the party and the way that the American government are trying to stop the emergence of Fred Hampton as this black messiah. Um, it is if you have to see any film this year, go watch *Jesus Black Messiah*. It, I, I really would be I'd struggle to say any negatives in this absolutely excellent picture, um, and surely one that will be remembered uh, in the future as a, as a classic and one of the defining films of this year, if not this decade. Boom. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with everything you just said. <clears throat> I um. My review's over, right? So this is me going over and I shouldn't do this. But I had this blow, uh, Ma Rainey, and I, I talked the whole time about Judas Black Messiah is my favourite film, the online first picture, but I prefer Ma Rainey's film. I don't prefer Ma Rainey. I don't prefer Ma Rainey. Really? Judas Black is excellent. I, 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 watching it again, I, I just, it just, I fell in love with it even more. I, I think if Baby Teeth didn't come out this year, this would be by, by a distance my favourite film of the year. But Wow. Well, I think I, uh, 20, 20, Wow. Well, I have to say, I agree with everything you said about it. It, it To me, it was never necessarily the best film of the year. Um, but it was the most important film of the year. But mm, mm. I never had that connection to it. I never loved it. I never watched it and thought, God, I loved that film. I watched it and I could appreciate it and I could say this is like unequivocally I obviously love Nomadland more than anything but unequivocally this is the most important film of 2021 and I completely agree if you have to go and see one it should be this but I never had that connect I never loved it like I never thought oh I, I love Judas and the Black Messiah so I'm really intrigued now that you said that it's even gone higher than Marini to go and see it again in a cinema because I watched it on my laptop I can't wait to go and see it in a cinema the and music. appreciate That's it what in a cinema. Is the music, it's yeah. so well done. The, I mean, the end of it, you know, I talk about the thing, the injustice of it. And think, yeah. I, I was, I came out of the screen in tears, uh, tears pouring down my face. I was so, I just, I was, it was an experience. I was hit by it. I couldn't believe what I'd seen. I knew I'd yeah. already watched the film, but I just like, I can't believe these things happened. I don't know the truth of it. I don't know actually what the reality is. And I don't know how far the film takes liberties, but if film, if the events are as they are described, I mean, it is an absolute injustice and, you know, yeah. it shows that the things that get swept on the rug um, from a political standpoint, you know, I, I, I think this is one of the great socialist films ever made um yeah. it's very and it's very obviously political i'd be very interested yeah. to hear someone that likes this film from an opposite political standpoint if i was to get someone i'd be very interested to talk to someone about this film from a non-ultra biased point of view who would consider themselves a conservative um because i really wonder how that would impact it because it film it is so in your face socialist yeah um 
and, and promotes it and definitely the, the black pepper i do come across very positively in this and as far as i know that, that that's that's fine um but yeah it, it it's you know i think you know i, I did I said to my mum before oh yeah i'm gonna go and watch you know i think it's a great one you know the, the, is as a socialist you know it's, it's a powerful showing of it and she's oh yeah but you know you're just gonna give you know whatever company a hundred million or whatever of course this <laughs> film will make so much money for for, for a company but then the, the message that it provides the message that it shows is more impactful than one zero point one percent more going to the bank of a company yeah so uh, you know from a political standpoint i think it's a very important film um, i agree so, it, just don't sorry, man. It is a very political film and very political, especially when it was released as well. It kind yes. of reminds me in the sense that it was so political and relevant to our society today. It reminds me of all the president's men being released when that was. That was so politically relevant back then about Watergate and everything that was going on with Nixon. This is that, but it's, yeah. you know, yeah. to us now, like in 2021 or 2020, I think it was technically released. But um, the past 12 months and then this film coming out, it's so, so relevant. And it's a true story as well, which makes it even worse. Like this isn't a fictional story that someone's made up and to kind of not capitalise, but elaborate on what's going on at the minute. This is, it's a true story. It, ha it happened. Like these are real people. Mm, and mm, mm. It, it's so painfully relevant. And mm. now that you've said that, I can't wait to go and see it in the cinema because, uh, like I say, I had only seen it on my laptop and I did fail to have that love towards it. Like, I watched it and I can appreciate it, but I felt very detached from it. And I was like, I didn't love that. Like, I loved Sound of Metal or Nomadland or any of right, those. Yeah. But um, I'm excited to go well, and like, see it in the cinema. Like, yeah, it was something with Nomadland. It's like, it's like I understand how good it is, but I didn't have the connection. And I wonder yeah. if that if maybe watching the cinema maybe will make that connection for you. Oh, I can only hope so. That that yeah. film for now, now for me watching that second time, uh, that's a ten, ten out of ten for me. Well, because I gave it four yeah. and a half stars. I gave of the best picture nominees. I gave Nomadland five, Trial of Chicago three. All of the others were four and a half. Nothing else managed to get to five other than Nomadland hopefully Judas might get pushed over to five because it was one of my lower rankings of the best picture nominees um, purely because I didn't have that connection to it. Hopefully if I go and see in the cinema, it might go up like yours has and it'll become five stars and it'll be second only to Nomadland. Mm -hmm. The the only thing, to be fair, all that positives, I actually do have something rated higher in my 2021 ranked um, and that is... Uh, it's a sin of course, uh, yeah. series, which we reviewed on the show on the podcast and and i think jordan on the podcast said something along the lines i don't know if he'd say this looking back because he, he's kind of pretended that he likes that less than he does but i think he said something like this is the best thing we've ever reviewed on the podcast and we've already done we'd already done 12 angry men and psycho and such wow um, and and uh, look, i i think but it's a sin is one of the greatest pieces of of media film or television i've ever seen um, wow. From my personal point of view, I really feel that strongly. This is him, and you know the fact that Judas isn't above it with the praise I've just given it. Um, I guess is a show for me of how much I like to sin. But it's yeah. extremely hard to compare a limited series to to a film. Yeah, but, um, it is. I like the controversial stuff, eh? Yeah. Okay. Next two, we've got the unholy. We really should have left that for the last because that was like we're not going to top that one. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I should have done that last time. That was, that was the baby team. That's We're going to end on the sound. unholy note, aren't we? <laughs> I see that. That might be cool. So I have a finish on a big one, and we finish on a funny one. Uh, okay, so Army Dead and the Unholy. Okay, what are we getting next? I hope it's Army Dead because I haven't got the energy to talk about Unholy, and I'm not even lying. Thank God it's Army of the Dead because I need a break. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is the big film of the week. Uh, Army yes. Dead, of course. Zack Snyder's new zombie film that's available on Netflix. So, can you give us a five-minute review of Army of the Dead now? So, Army of the Dead, as you just said, is Zack Snyder's new film for Netflix. It's about in a world where zombies have overtaken Las Vegas and there is $200 million in cash in one of the vaults underneath one of the casinos and a very wealthy man pays Dave Batista and a team of other people to go in and retrieve the $200 million. They have to, uh, what's the word, weave their way through zombies and to get to the vault and then they have to unlock the vault then they have to get up to a helicopter that's on the roof of the casino and fly out that's the plan that's what they need to happen and then they go into the land of the zombies in las vegas and they go and try and carry out the plan uh, and that's it for the plot because obviously i won't spoil anything um but with regards to the film uh it was very very predictable i knew almost everything that was going to happen I even tweeted at one point, I will say this, but this isn't a big spoiler at all. I said, they're carrying tanks of gasoline like backpacks. I bet that someone is going to get shot in the back and blown up. <laughs> and literally five minutes later, it happened. <laughs> so it, it was very predictable. Um, the writing was okay. The acting was okay. Now, the cinematography is very, very divisive because he shot it using a dream lens, which basically is makes the background incredibly out of focus and the foreground incredibly in focus. So it, it works well for still photography, but for cinematography in a film with movement, it really, really didn't work for me. The background was incredibly blurry and it, it was so weird to the point where a character could be stood still and their chest and their face is in focus but you can see that the back of their head like their ears are out of focus and it just did not work for me i hated the dreamland cinematography it completely took me out of it uh, it would have been okay for a couple of sequences but using it constantly wasn't for me uh, it, it was probably done for artistic reason but also practical reasons because if your background is blurry you don't have to spend a lot on cgi green screen backgrounds or production design because your background is going to be blurry anyway you could just have vague colors in the way and that's fine um having said all of those negatives i had a lot of fun watching army of the dead i hate zombie films as a rule i find them all the same there are good ones and there are bad ones but they're all the same they're all oh no there's a zombie infection we have to get to a safe place yay we're in a safe place oh no they've found a way in, we have to find a cure. And they're all just like that to me. They're all the same and I hate them all. Snyder took that premise and made it into a heist film. And one thing I loved about it is that the zombie outbreak was contained. It was in Las Vegas. They're, they, Everyone outside was safe. It wasn't like, oh no, they're coming into our houses. Everyone was safe. The, the zombies were very much contained to Las Vegas. That was it. It's not some kind of world apocalypse outbreak. They're just contained. That was 
a very good decision for me. And to cross a zombie film with a heist film where you're going in to retrieve money, st steal money essentially because it's in the casino vault and get out of there in time, that was genius. To cross these two genres was genius. And it made it exciting for me. And like I say, I hate zombie films because they're all the same. So to take that and combine it with a heist film was absolute genius. I also forgot to mention that they're on a time limit because the government has decided to nuke Las Vegas. Um, so they're on a time limit. To, that's irrelevant to what I'm talking about now, though. One minute. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun. The action was very fun. The zombie designs were very interesting. There's a zombie tiger like you've seen in the trailers. The music was great. Uh... The ending really didn't like the ending. Uh, there's like the the ending of the story, and then there's a bit extra added on the end. The bit extra added on the end didn't like it, and the ending was very predictable. So I wasn't a fan of the very end. But as a whole, I had a lot of fun. It was ridiculous Snyder zombie killing stuff. It was a lot of fun. I'd probably watch it again, which I've never said before about a zombie film. Uh, solid seven out of ten. Probably gone down to a six out of ten, maybe six point five out of ten. Um, but I had a lot of fun. It wasn't predictable. It wasn't necessarily good. But I enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun watching it. End of review. Nice. nice. Eight seconds left. Very Time nice. Time to okay. spare. I haven't seen one minute. I'm in dead. But we do have a last minute quick review from my mum who texted me the other day. Um, I said, she said, she was saying, watching Army of the Dead. And I said, I can't be asked. I'll watch it later. Um, and she said, not your thing. A bit gung-ho. Bad acting, very long, and a bit pointless. 2.9 on Letterboxd. That is another point that I need to raise. It is very long. It's over two and a half hours. It could have easily taken half an hour off. There's so much going on that they could have just gotten rid of completely. Characters and storylines that they could have just gotten rid of completely. It's way too long, in my opinion. It should have been like two hours at most. Uh, I don't have anything against a longer runtime, but when it just drags... It really takes me out of it. It was too long. So yeah, I needed to mention that as well. But it was fun, so I didn't particularly care. The long run time took away from that fun, but it was still fun. I um, I haven't seen the film, obviously, as you said that. Um, but um, I am smart enough to not outwardly insult Zack Snyder on the internet. Um, yes, Zack Snyder is a, is a genius. He's a genius, absolutely. <laughs> Greatest filmmaker of all time. I don't fancy a, a mob outside my <laughs> apartment. Um, <laughs> I however, once tweeted something that was pro Zack Snyder, but it was ambiguous, and I got called a paedophile. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I did, the tweet wasn't about children or anything. There's yeah. no official now showing opinion on the <laughs> on whether <laughs> Lewis is a paedophile. Okay, but my opinion on Zack Snyder is not particularly positive. I did like Jack Snyder's Justice League. I'm sure you were here. Um, yeah. We were all aware because I did. We did do a review of it, of course. Um, however, I will say that my obviously Zack Snyder needs to know how to cut because all his films are too long. Um, but I also seem to have a problem with Zack Snyder's third acts. I always think that the films are always good up until the third act, and then they stink the place up. Um, case in point: Three Hundred. Uh, case yeah. in point: uh, Man of Steel, uh, the old edition of Batman vs Superman, um, and more. Um, I always find that he, say 300, you know, the first two acts of, of, of 300 are iconic. Um, okay, they're not great, but they're very, very famous. And they, they built, there's a big build-up. And the third act is just some stupid alien battle. Um, yeah. 
And then, you know, Man of Steel, it seems to be like, oh, okay, we're subverting the Superman narrative. Very interesting. And the third act is watch him beat up Michael Shannon in, in, in <laughs> superhero suits for 45 minutes. Then, you know, Batman of Superman has probably, in my opinion, one of the worst third, even the Ultimate Edition has one of the worst third acts ever, in yeah. my opinion. I would um, agree. It's a film which the old edition is a lot better than the theatrical version. I uh, gave it a bit of a bit of praise, so that it did great for Lois Lane. It had a good amount of build up, and then it's so convoluted. The decisions made in in the third act of that film, uh, you know, the, the 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 Martha stuff and the why does Superman hold the kryptonite, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. Um, now I want to ask you: Is the third act the worst part of this film, or or has Zack Snyder actually pulled it out of the bag here? Uh, I would say, apart from that actual ending, not the third act, but the ending, he pulls it off. It's a very good third. The third act, in fact, is very, very, like, tense. I, uh, there were scenes where I was on the edge of my seat for a bit, figuratively, obviously. Um, I'm not that enthusiastic about Zack Snyder. <laughs> but um, I was on the edge of my seat, and it was very, very tense, and I was kind of holding my breath for it. And the action in those final scenes of the, the well, the third act rather than the final scenes, uh, they were really interesting, really well shot. The scenes with the characters doing different things in different places was very good. Um, a lot of people are pissed off at Kate, who plays Batista's daughter, because she kind of messes up the plan, which she does but I don't see why that's a valid complaint. There's always idiots in zombie films and horror films that make stupid decisions to like go back in and save something or to save one. And it's like, no, don't do that. Just escape, just get out of there. And there are always people that do that. I don't see why she's getting a lot. Well, it's because she's a woman, but <laughs> I don't understand why everyone hates this character so much. Um, she's no more of a hindrance to the plot than most characters in a zombie film or in a, even in just a generic heist film or even most films, to be honest. Uh, but the third act is actually very good. I think he sticks it very well, sticks the landing very well. It's just the actual, the way that the story ends yeah, okay. that I don't okay. like. All right. I keep seeing these Dave Bautista versus Dwayne The Rock Johnson like debates and shit and John Cena debates who's the best actor, which seems to be, from an outside point, it seems to be like a who's the tallest dwarf competition. Um, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> I, I, um, no, I, I think you, you're selling Batista and John Cena a bit short there. That was not of an intentional John Cena, is John, I, I don't think I've even seen John Cena in a film. Have John I Cena John does, film? I think John Cena does comedy exceptionally well. I don't know if you've seen Blockers, but you should watch Blockers. He does comedy yeah. exceptionally well. He's he's the best at comedy, but I think Batista is actively a good drama actor. He does very well. well and then there's The Rock. He was in Blade Runner, so I'll give him a, pl I'll give him a thumbs up, I guess. He was, and he was good in Spectre as well. Oh, right. Yeah, you are right. I completely yeah. forgot about that. He's, but I think Batista is actually a very good actor. Um, the Rock isn't. The Rock is just... <laughs> The Rock in everything, <laughs> but John Cena is a very good comedy actor. Yeah. yeah, but The Rock like wears the same shirt and does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The Rock cinematic universe. <laughs> Maybe they're just all the same character, and he's actually being a genius. Um, that would. But be I did genius. see you tweet out that you're excited for that, like, and that Jungle Cruise film. Yeah, so, I, I, it looks fun. Like, I enjoy films mm -hmm. that are just stupid and childish and fun sometimes. It could be the next Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, that's not a compliment. I doubt. Okay. Oh. 
<laughs> oh, Mop the, whale the parts of the Caribbean slander. Move on. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spinning the wheel. There's only one film on it. It's The Unholy. So I'm going to be doing The Unholy. The big oh, finale. Man. Oh, man. I had to talk about this film for five minutes, eh? <laughs> okay. Um, so, five minutes starting now. The Unholy is uh, a new film from director Evan Sp- Spilatopoulos, I believe, um, who I'm assuming is Greek, uh, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan of Negan from The Walking Dead fame and William Sadler, who's been in loads of things, you know, Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption, etc., etc. Um, and is a new horror film that came out in the cinema this week. Uh, it's one of the first films to come out. It came out on the first day the cinemas opened. Um, and it follows a disgraced journalist, uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan, uh, who plays a character called Jerry. Um, and Jerry uh, is known worldwide from being one of the best writers, reporters, journalists in the world who was caught uh, faking stories and you know, kind of was, was shunned out of the industry and now is kind of sunk to the bottom doing like you know back pages for shitty online magazines or whatever. Uh, he gets a call um, from some mad guy um, or some, some bloke, some attention-seeking bloke in some little bumfuck town that wants, uh, that, that thinks he's... Uh, cow is being uh you know mutilated by aliens but it's just like local kids shaving the, the metallica logo in, in the cow's ass um but while he's there he decides to he decides that you know even though the story doesn't exist he needs to fabricate a story so he breaks a a, a kind of ceremony a sacrificial doll or a, a soul doll um from the 1800s that he finds in order to cr- like make a story like oh this doll has been smashed now a, a, a cow has been mutilated um and by doing that like cracking that's that doll it unleashes evil spirits um which which uh come to um forces jeffrey d morgan to stay in the town for a day um and then he witnesses um the blind sorry the no the deaf and mute daughter of the local uh reverend at the church to suddenly start hearing and speaking and she tells everyone that she's been talked to by mary which is imagined by the people to be the virgin mary um and she causes miracles to happen but whilst that's happening some bad things go on in the background and people start to suspect that mary may be not all that she seems now okay so i've got two and a half minutes i've got half of this to describe okay so how do i put this politely the unholy is a steaming pile of shite um this film that's politely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have seen films worse than The Unholy, but I don't think I've ever seen in a, a film in a cinema that with a lower production value than The Unholy. Now, is that the film's fault? Of course not. However, The Blair Witch was made on £2.50 in a packet of quavers. This film knows that it's got god-awful VFX throughout and chooses to use it constantly to create an effect that looks like the Teletubby's son is dementing the local village. Um, this has... Start, I'm pretty sure that my A-level media uh, would be able to create uh, same level VFX that this film has. Um, I don't want to sound mean uh, <laughs> because they obviously tried hard, um, but uh, I really feel me. I think it's pretty mean that anyone would have to pay ten pounds at a London cinema to go watch this. Um, this is not a negative point of view. This is not a negative thing. I'm not being and you know 
edgy or anything but this is just as an interesting side note this is probably the only horror film i've ever watched that is very clearly pro-religion um and that feels it to end that's not a negative just thought i'd put it out there uh and it, it is slightly strange that the film ends with um some still images of a cross on a tree and Bible music in the background. Um, but the plot is ridiculous. Um, the, the VFX is awful. The, the film doesn't create, generate any scares at any point, which it does, it does badly. I feel bad for Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who puts in a genuinely decent performance here, uh, you know, struggling against the, 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 the script he's given. Um, it, it is the absolute definition of B-horror movie. I think that I'd seriously let this uh, go under the radar and I wouldn't think about it if this came out on Shudder or was released as a, as a, as a £1 DVD. But they should never have seen the inside of a cinema um, and I have no idea how it ended up there. Uh, I'm surprised they even managed to get big names on this. Um, I'm sure there was a kind of genuinely decent idea about like you know the corruption of the devil and the de- how the devil corrupts you know famous figures um, but it really doesn't come across and any nuance that was designed in this film uh, is ruined the only highlight i can say of this film strong highlight of this film is at some point um jeffrey dean morgan uh, negan says the phrase sucking on a cow's ass um <laughs> maybe three and a half that is high praise three and a half <laughs> my flatmate liked it Oh, well, that's, that's good then. <laughs> she ha- she hated Saint Maud. She said Saint Maud was one. She said Saint Maud and Three Billboards were both two of the worst films she's ever seen. So. I honestly don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> she's not coming on the podcast anytime soon. Sorry, Leia. <laughs> yeah, a woman named after Star Wars that haven't seen Star Wars. Wow. Right. Um. So yeah, that I have to end it on a negative note here i know um, <laughs> that is a bit... it was funny i guess <laughs> <laughs> i suppose so you have been you've been more negative than positive today yeah i i think there was a there was a point i think when i i'd gone to see those who wish me dead then the un, then the unholy then peter rabbit 2 then spiral and i was thinking I think it was the 16th of October that I actually went to a film I genuinely really liked. Like, Peter Rabbit was okay, right? But, like, I seen, like, Wonder Woman as okay in December. But the last time I went to see a film I actually liked was the 16th of October when I went to go see Kajillionaire. Um, and then I watched Jesus wow. Messiah again, which was fucking cracking. But the only films I've seen in cinema that I've actually really liked which were Jesus Messiah and Minari, which films I'd already seen. Um, yeah. But... This week, coming up, probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, actually definitely by the time you listen to the podcast, yeah. um, Cruella would have been released, the new film about Cruella de Vil, the prequel, uh, the Joker-style uh, look at the backstory of the villain uh, Cruella de Vil from 101 Dimensions. And in the coming days from when you listen to this, um, or in the past, depending on when you listen to this, um, will be A Quiet Place 2. Um, and we'll be reviewing both of those. And we that, that's us officially saying... Uh, you're going to have to watch that film. I'm making you officially have to watch that film. Right. I, I will try and watch that film. I may have there's, to just there's no try about watch it. YouTube compilations of the scariest scenes before I go and watch it. <laughs> no. No. You have to go unprepared and you have to be scared a little bit. I will try. I'm afraid... There is no, there is no checking up the parents' guide on this one, Lewis. We want, oh, you need to go in gung ho, <laughs> as my mum would say. I, I, will, I will try my hardest. 
to go and watch A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. Okay, well, I haven't seen A Quiet Place either, but I will be doing the double bill, um, and I will be watching Cruella tomorrow. Um, I too will be watching Cruella, so at least we'll be able to do Cruella. No, there's no at least. (laughs) We are doing both films. I'm not getting Brandon in. Brandon is a horror correspondent. We're not getting Brandon in this early. I'm afraid you're going to have to watch A Quiet Place. I, I'm at some point I'll watch a musical, right? But we'll have to do a musical special. <laughs> Mamma Mia and like Mamma Mia Two. Here we go again. Yeah. Do you like those films? Yeah. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Have you I've seen never them? seen Mamma Mia. I've never seen Mamma Mia. Well, Mamma Mia I tell you has what, to be one of week, the most popular films I've never seen. Next week. You can do A Quiet Place Part 1 and 2. I'll do Mamma Mia Part 1 and 2. It would be more <laughs> understandable if we did the opposite way around. If that I watched Mamma Mia 1 and 2, that would be better content. As um, a fan, as someone who isn't a fan of horror, though, my opinion on A Quiet Place might be a bit skewed. Right. Interesting. Maybe we should get Brandon in. I don't know. We'll have to think about it. Um, as you know, because I'll be the horror. So fuck you, Brandon. I'll be the horror correspondent because i'm not a massive <laughs> horror fan fanatic right i've given the two horror films that i've talked about today a three and a half and a five um That's but or four um <clears throat> but i i do appreciate good horror of course uh, i do like you know we, we did the woman back on this i love that film um yeah. and you know we did some more and stuff so i very much I contemplated I'll... going to watch quite a place part one when it was in the cinemas but ultimately decided not to so you should have gone to see some mores. Uh, I really, that that's one where it's like that wouldn't have scared you. Like you said, that, like that is probably as scary as the lighthouse, and you said that that was a little scary for you. It's probably less scary than the lighthouse. There's probably less jump scares. I mean, lighthouse is a little bit more jump scary. So, mm. well, you know. Well, I'll I'll try and do a quiet place double bill so we can do Cruella in a quiet place, and then okay, you'll have okay. to owe me two musicals. <laughs> <laughs> two cheesy musicals Grease and the Mamma Mia I, I like Grease to be fair I do like Grease alright well I'll pick, like I'll pick two that that's you that's only because of the Travolta <laughs> <laughs> fucking if I had to watch the fucking Greatest Showman again oh god I I, we'll do the Greatest Showman to end this Mamma podcast Mia. oh man I've got a Ventera so my mate right a, a few years ago back when I was in in secondary school you know whatever my mate wrote in the group chat but kid called Bartek, right, messaged us, do you want to go see the, that new film, um, the new war film? Which one? The Darkest Hour. Yeah, okay. Go to the cinema. Walk in. Oh, yeah, I bought you tickets to The Greatest Showman instead. We're going to watch that. <laughs> okay, cheers, mate. Fucking, I had to sit through The Greatest <laughs> Fucking Showman. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And they're still we not seeing do. The Darkest Hour. You've still not seen The Darkest Hour. Thanks, Bartek. <laughs> we could do the Pitch Perfect franchise. <laughs> I've seen the start of the third one. But, like the first ten minutes of the third one. The only okay. one that I will refuse to do is the prom. We don't have to do the prom. We already did that on the podcast. Ugh. That's already been done on the podcast. Hairspray. Okay, have you seen Hairspray? Oh, that's it. We are. I forgot that we're still recording. I'm a- <laughs> I've done. I've started. I was the start of Hasbro because uh, you know, obviously, John Travolta. Okay, yeah, we are still <laughs> recording. So, um, 
Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the National Podcast. We'll be back next week with Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2. That'll probably be coming some point midweek. Uh, big thank you for this. Of course, as always, a big goodbye to JL. Goodbye, Joel Limadant. We'll miss you dearly. Goodbye, now, you are of missed. Course, you are missed. Of course, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at uh, Sam H Media, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at Sam Houston. You can follow Lu- uh, Lewis on Twitter at LJR un- LJWR underscore, and yeah. on Letterboxd as LJWR. Yeah. Um, you can follow the podcast now as the the ad has changed. We are now at Now Showing Pod, right? Yep, that's us. Now Showing Pod. We're now, now now showing pod, and similarly, if you want to contact us directly for anything um, such as those juicy, juicy sponsorships, we'll be taking anything at this point. You can do so by contacting us at nowshowingpod at gmail.com. Uh, we are proud members of the Music City Driving Network. You can check out their website for a whole host of podcasts about films, music, and a uh, whole lot of other sh- stuff. You can check out the 50 Years of Music podcast if you like music. You can check out the Film Optics podcast. You can check out the Music City Driving podcast. You can check out loads of stuff on there, the Fancy Football Roundtable, and more, and of course us, uh, and articles. And you can check them out on Twitter at, at at MCDI Pod. Uh, if you like the podcast, the best way to support us is by giving our tweet a uh, retweet uh, each week, and of course, giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. That helps us push up in the rankings. Uh, a big thanks to all of you that listened this far, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.